Welcome to the Entry Level Entrepreneur Podcast with your host and biz bestie, Emily Kuhn. Each week, you'll learn the strategies and actionable steps you need for success. So let's get started. Are you struggling to figure out what freebie you should create? Is your current freebie not bringing in the leads like you would like? Well, I invite you to check out and see whether you should use a quiz to attract your ideal clients. You should be able to attract your leads with fun and ease. So check out my quiz on whether you should use a quiz for your biz. Go to emilycoon.com backslash quiz for your biz. All right. And now onto our show. I am so excited, you all, because today you are for sure going to want to grab your cup and listen up because I have somebody on the podcast you are going to get so much value from. Like, seriously, you're going to listen to this on repeat. It's going to be that good. And the reason why I know that is because I have worked with this guy for about a year and really was transformed through one of his programs. So without further ado, I want to welcome just a huge welcome to Chris Harder. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Emily, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It means the world. And I've got to say, I love that phrase, grab your cup and listen up. That is awesome. (laughs) Well, I'm always drinking coffee throughout the day. So or water. So grab your cup and listen up. Yeah. I love that. Okay. That's really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So for those who may not know of Chris, Chris is a business strategist, like seriously crazy smart when it comes to helping people really figure out a path that works well for them. I know Chris, one of your phrases that you used a lot with us in Fast Foundations was the path is in the math, right? So Chris is really just like crazy smart when it comes to business strategy. And that's really how I worked with him over that year in 2000, gosh, 19 now. It feels longer ago, doesn't it? I know it feels, yeah. So that's what Chris, how he helps serve people, but also helping them through their entrepreneurial journey. You've worked on money mindset, building community, like you've kind of been through a lot. And now you're at this point that now you can invest in other companies. So you're really seeing the whole life cycle of an entrepreneur, which I think is a really unique perspective, given what you do currently. So for those out there who aren't familiar with Chris, that's kind of in a nutshell, who he is, what he does, husband to Lori Harder, father to bananas, Yes, the so. crazy sheep-a-doodle. And, and we <laughs> named him Bananas because we manifested the most bananas dog on the planet. It's it's out of control. But yeah, so here's here's who I am in a nutshell. You know, generosity is my blood type. My tagline is when good people make good money, they can do great things. And I really believe that. Like, I really believe at the core that if every single person had extra resources, then they'd be able to give more and create more change for the causes and the initiatives that they cared about. And And really the biggest challenge that we face as humanity right now is just most people don't have those extra resources to divert to the causes that they would divert them to, you know, if they had that ability. And so I've just made it my mission to like help people create as much income and wealth as possible. So they first take care of their own needs. I'm a huge proponent of like, Hey, you get yours first, set yourself up very well, and then use that overflow from the the cup that's overflowing. Use that to go make a huge difference in the world. And 
And so that's what we've done. And, you know, as of right now, we own or have significant ownership in 10 different seven and eight figure businesses. So we've got a really diverse range when it comes to understanding business for everything from consumer packaged goods to coaching businesses and everything in between. And I think it's that that unique scope, that unique range of being able to see behind the curtain of everything that gives me a, kind of that special ability to be able to implement strategy or at least create the path for people that are trying to get from point A to point B in their business. And that's probably what I love doing more than anything else is just sitting down with somebody and figuring out how do we get you from point A to point B in your business and then letting them just go to work. Yeah, that is, it's super fun to do that. And also to see it happen. I've been in the rooms where you've been talking with people and you're like, well, you could do this, or I've come to you with, well, I think actually I'm going to do this with my pricing and what do you think? And you're like, brilliant. So that's really fun to see and then help people just have, like you say, that path so that they can go out and execute. Because I think that's really a huge thing, especially for entry-level entrepreneurs. Okay. So you have investment in seven and eight figure businesses, but how did you get started on your entrepreneurial journey? Oh, great question. Okay. So uh, 12-ish years ago now, 11 or 12 years ago now, Lori and I lost everything. I was in banking and the banking recession hit. I was the only breadwinner in the family. Lori didn't have her career yet as, as people know her today. And couple that fact that I was the only breadwinner with the fact that we were young and arrogant and ignorant and, and just living way beyond our means, we thought it would last forever. I had this really horrible joke, Emily. It was, I'm not spending this year's money, I'm spending next year's. And I thought it was funny to say I could predict my promotion, I could predict my bonus, like as if it was clockwork, because it was for a while. And when the music stopped, you know, we were left without a chair and we had to start over, like literally from way below zero. Now, it was an actual blessing in disguise because while it didn't feel like it at the time, and by the way, if anyone's going through this right now, I'm not here to convince you that it's going to feel good. But as you start to navigate through it, you realize this is your big chance. Like this is your chance to choose again, to start from scratch. You've got nothing to lose. You get to choose how you want to show up, how you want your identity to be, how you want to add value to the world. This is your big chance because in most situations, we're so caught up in the momentum of life. Like I was so caught up in the momentum of banking and, and chasing down the next promotion that I didn't really want to be there, but it was simple. It was easy for me to remain there. And that's, that's a you know, catch 22 that a lot of us wake up in. You don't really want to be there, but it's easy to remain there. And so you do, because it'd be much more difficult to shut everything off and go do what you really want to do. So it was, it happened for us. And at that time, weren't a lot of options. So I took a partnership with a, an up and coming mortgage brokerage that we turned into a mortgage bank. And Lori began her fitness career, the entrepreneurial side of it started not only a gym in Minneapolis, but then also a monthly membership program before the whole world had monthly membership programs. And that really became the beginning of a whole bunch of different businesses, some that were home runs, some that were, you know, they passed in the night without any celebration whatsoever. But that became the beginning of our entrepreneurship journey about 12 years ago. So looking back now, what is one thing that you would do differently? I mean, you've really, well, at least in my eyes, you're a successful entrepreneur. So knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently over those 12 years? 
It's interesting. So when we lost everything, I went from living way beyond our means to becoming too gun shy about spending money, right? A natural re- knee-jerk reaction. And it was like pulling teeth to get me to hire the number of people that we needed to get me to invest in the best of the best. I was looking for, you know, who, who could figure it out on a bargain. And that really slowed us down as well as we've done. It really slowed us down and we could have gotten where we are bigger, faster, stronger with a lot less resistance, a lot less headaches, a lot less. Honestly, I I wasted more money than I saved by trying to always find someone to do it on the cheap or by holding out on not wanting to hire this thing out yet or that thing out yet. And I think that's why that's one of the biggest things I teach now is hire for where you're going, not for where you're at. Make sure you're reinvesting all of these seeds, you know, your revenue into, you know, you got to plant them again so that you can then harvest the bigger crop later. And the quicker that you're able to do that, I think the quicker your, your business is going to catch momentum. And, you know, we always talk about momentum is like the hardest thing to get. It's the most valuable thing you can have. And it's also the easiest thing you can lose, right? So if it's so elusive and it's so valuable at the same time, why not divert all your resources, the revenue that's coming in? Let's go ahead and point that right back into hiring the best of the best, to hiring people that already know how to do this, to, to hiring those who have been there, done that. So they can kind of carve that path for you and, and show you the shortcut to where you want to go. Yeah, that's such a good point. And a lot of times, and I know you can appreciate this, when we try to do it ourselves, like it'll take us longer. So the cost of us working on it is like an opportunity cost of us not doing income producing activities. So it's kind of this double-edged sword and really to go out and get somebody to do it actually in the long run would have actually been cheaper. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's so true. I mean, probably nine out of 10 times to go out and get the right person who already knows how to do this. Yeah. It's more expensive up front, but it's going to create so much more income faster and with less resistance in the long run. It's a a lesson I wish I could go back to my young self and say, do it this way, not that way. Nice. So you and Lori host Fast Foundations and the Elite Level Mastermind, but specifically on Fast Foundations where you're working with entry-level entrepreneurs. What is a common thread you see for the hundreds of entrepreneurs that have come through that program? What is the common thread you see for people who have really like, rocked it out, who've been really, who've been like really successful. Acting before they're ready. Seriously, the ones that are caught up in the analytics too much, analytics are important, but too much. The ones who are always figuring out before they figure out, before they figure out how to do it. The ones that are, are really like aiming for perfection before they launch it. Those are the ones that tend to struggle. The antithesis of that, the ones that do it messy and, and are always fixing things on the way down and, and barely making it and, and doing patchwork on, on some of the things you know, while they're in motion, they seem to be the ones that succeed a little bit quicker. Now, there does become a tipping point. Your question was, you know, what's the common thread among those who are getting started that tend to be successful? Getting started, I think I would always bet on you know, passion and messy action more than I would ever bet on the perfectionist in the beginning. But then once you've got a sizable business, once you start to build a team, once you have that momentum, that's when I think that other personality type comes in massively valuable. You know, the ones that are going to say, Hey, we got some momentum. Let's slow down a little bit. Let's do it right. Let's put this right person here. Let's put this right process there and 
take that fast start and make sure that we don't squander it by going 100 miles an hour down the highway, still patching things, you know? Oh, I like that a lot for a couple of reasons. One is that I think it highlights how both types of people can be successful, but also knowing who you are. And if you're going too far down that perfectionism, maybe it's time to like reel it in if you're in that beginning stage and needing to get that momentum. And then, you know, capitalizing on that once you have that momentum and really making it sharp. And because that's into it, like, just naturally how you operate. Also, conversely, like capitalizing on that strength in the beginning and then knowing when oh, maybe I need to outsource that to yeah, get some for- of the system stuff and all of that structure in place to really go far. Emily, you spot on. Both personality types are of the utmost importance. The ones that are going to be detail-oriented and perfectionists, they're going to have a hard time getting going. But the ones who are like, messy action, let's go, they'll get a fast start, but they're going to have a hard time sustaining the growth. And so you need both personality types and you need to know yourself. If you're the messy action person, you better have somebody who's great at details on the radar, ready to come in and, and partner. And I don't mean the literal sense of partner, but partner with to help you sustain your business. And if you are the detail oriented, methodical one, well, then you better get someone to kick you in the rear and get you to go do the scary stuff before you think you're ready knowing that your meticulous skill sets are going to, once you have that momentum, come in really handy to keep it going down the road. You know, one thing that you just mentioned there that I just want to call out for people is, you know, it's that situation where I think it's good to have, whether it's a coach or a confidant or a trusted circle of people, because I recently had this, Tracy O'Malley is one of my coaches and you know her well. Tracy, I really appreciate her. And one of the things that I've learned through working with her is who I am as a person and and why certain things feel right and certain things do not feel natural at all. So that self-awareness is super important because, I mean, from a leadership perspective, you know, you got to lead yourself before you lead others. But Tracy kicked me in the ass the other day, lovingly, kind of. And she was like what are you doing? Like your ego's getting in the way. You need to really like, what do you, do you want to make money or do you just want to have fun? Because if you want to have fun, you do that. If you want to make money and you want to fund $500,000 in scholarships, you better do this other. Mm -hmm. Oof, that was hard, but I needed that because I didn't see it happening for myself. And that's where getting in rooms and, and working with people is so super important because otherwise you get tripped up. And that's for me, I look at that as that's wasted time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And she's an example of a a great coach. And that's a great example because I know you're detail oriented and and like your attention to detail and, and your planning is second to none. And so that's a great example of if that's your personality strength, then you need a Tracy O'Malley in your life to kick you in the rear and get you focused on just taking action, knowing that those other personality traits of yours are what's going to keep you going down the road once you get off the, off the ground. Okay. So one of the things that I, I want to take you back a few years, which you didn't even know me at the time, but I saw you on stage and heard something that completely like I captured, like I put it in a little infographic before they were a thing. I Uh shared it out with my team. I kind of adopted it, 
which was, you said something to the effect of be so damn good. People want to follow you. People want to sit at your table. And it was in reference to, you know, this feeling of, you know, you're always trying to sit at other people's table. You, you want to be in the in crowd or the in circle. Well, you be so damn good. People follow you. And I absolutely loved, loved, loved that. So, you know, I guess one of my questions for you is like, how long did it take you to figure out how to be so damn good? You know, like you had to be good at something, right? So like, how long did that take you? What a great question. I don't know the answer to that question in this very moment. So I'm going to start on the macro. And the macro is this, what you're saying is of the utmost truth. Like instead of spending that time and energy trying to be this person's friend or trying to get into this circle or wishing you were a part of this group, like reinvest that same time and energy of always trying to get into those groups into just creating your own. People are attracted to those who are doing big things, who are moving quickly, who are taking action, who are certain about where they're going, who have a swagger about them, who say, you know what, this is how I want to show up. This is the message I want to spread. This is the product that I want to sell. People are attracted to those people. And if you just own that, whatever is true to you, whatever that is for you, if you just own that, you're going to start attracting people left and right and up and down. And before you know it, you're going to be looking around saying, wow, I can't believe how many people are asking my advice. Wow. I can't believe how many people are here to support me. Wow. I can't believe how many deals are coming my way. Wow. I can't believe how many people want to do business with me. So instead of wishing that you were a part of other business circles, spend that time and energy being the centerpiece of a brand new circle, because there's always an up and coming class right? There's always the next group of entrepreneurs, the next group of influencers, the next group of coaches, the next group of whatever. You get to be the start of that very next group and come up and appreciate those around you that were part of your ride or dies that rolled up their sleeves at the same time as you. And when you do that, you're never going to want for another relationship. You're never going to want for another connection. You're never going to want for anything else again. And so you really do need to say, you know what? here's who I am. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm going. Who the hell wants to come with me because I'm going with or without you. And it's that swagger. It's that personality and it's that certainty that will make you the centerpiece of that next exciting group. I love that. And like, I really want people to listen to that, pause it, rewind and listen again, because what Chris is saying here is like beyond important. If you do this if you do just that, it will shift how you build community, I believe. Because here's the thing, Chris, I've recently been struggling with, oh, I'm not the cheerleader. Oh, I'm not the extrovert. I'm like super introverted. I'm an Enneagram five. I'm super introverted. I'm not going to show up on Instagram like an energizer bunny. So how am I going to attract that raving community that we all want? And when you were just talking, I'm like, yeah, I actually just need to be really have that posture of certainty and very confident in who I am, what I'm doing. And I don't have to be energizer bunny. So I think for the introverts out there, I'll speak to my introverts. If you're an introvert, you don't have to be the energizer, or maybe you're the extrovert and you don't want to be the energizer bunny. You don't have to show up that way. I think to your point, having that swagger, having that confidence to just own who you are, what you're doing. And I think for folks like me, what you said also just made it like super, like just super easy and clear, which is 
what are you doing? Like, it's not about you per se. It's about what you're trying to accomplish. And even I think for folks who struggle with this, if you can focus on what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve, what the impact is that you're trying to create, that also creates some messaging that people are attracted to. I absolutely, like Chris, that was, that was gold. You're so spot on because no matter who you are, if you're true to that person, that is going to attract a ton of like-minded individuals. And that's all you're trying to do at the end of the day is attract as many like-minded individuals as you can. As a matter of fact, you want to know what's a nightmare? A nightmare would be pretending you're an extrovert, pretending you're loud, pretending you're this, pretending you're that. And heaven forbid, people fall for it. And then you wake up one day and everybody around you that are your friends, well, now they expect you to be that person. You're like, oh my God, this is not me. This feels horrible. And it's torturous to leave the house. It's torturous to go out with them. It's torturous to, to you know, be at an event, whatever it might be. You don't have to be any particular thing other than your unapologetic self. So if you're an introvert, which I am too, by the way, if you are quiet, if you are detailed, if you are calculated, if you are whatever your true self is, you have to be that person so obviously, so consistently, and in a way that people can find you, that people will be attracted to you because they know that you at the core are being that person that they were looking for. And when you just own who you are at the core and make yourself findable, discoverable, that's when people will come flocking. Love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is similar to the last question that I asked before you just dropped like a ton of gold. When did you realize or how long did it take you? I'm not sure if you can kind of put a number on it, but when did you realize that you had this raving fan community? Because I think you do. Like people love bananas. They love waffles. <laughs> they shared out. So here's, here's, some, here's some of my metrics. And for folks who are like, well, why do, why do you say that Chris has a raving fan community? Because people know Chris's dog's name. They loved on waffles. They sent pictures and paintings of waffles. They sent flowers, you know, because Chris and Lori kind of opened their lives up to people, they can really see inside. And so now people are like, oh, it's bananas. Oh, bananas got a haircut. And so like, you know, you create this environment. So, and when you were hiring, people would share out your job postings. So for me, I think that's one measure of a raving fan community. So when did you kind of notice that you had this raving fan community? It's a really interesting question. I don't know if I've ever woken up any day and said, oh, I have a raving fan community. I think the secrets are this, have a cute dog and an amazing wife. And that makes it much easier (laughs) and just leverage those two. But all joking aside, I think this goes back to what I was actually just saying. And that is, you know, community acquisition is massively important. I don't care who you are, what you sell, what your mission is, what your purpose is, to develop a community that believes in what you believe in, that wants what you have to offer, that is excited for the next thing that you're going to release, even when it's free, right? To develop a community like that is the most valuable thing you can have because your security, meaning your ability to sell a product, your ability to pivot. Like my wife is making a a giant pivot from the self-development world to an alcohol startup. Seems like an unlikely pivot, but they're actually quite linked once we get under the hood. Your ability to make a pivot that seems out of left field like that. All of those things are easier 
when you've got a great community surrounding you and supporting you. I think we saw last year, 2020, I mean, the world got flipped upside down on its head. And those with great communities that were there to support them, they were able to not just survive, but thrive. And those that had not yet built a great community of people supporting them, then they had a hard time. They had less options to turn to. They had less people to maybe sell to. They had less support and and people cheering them on in general. And so a wildly supportive, like-minded community is one of the most important things that you can intentionally build for yourself. I love that because, and actually great segue into the next question I have for you, but I know that you've in the past talked about how it's really important for you as an entrepreneur to own your following, own your list. And social media is great and we can build community there, but we're kind of renting it because like if the platform goes down, we don't really have a way to contact or connect with them. So for people who are starting in particular, because I've seen, I've heard some of this question, or I've heard some of these comments before, like, when is it a good time to start building your list? Yesterday. Absolutely. Yesterday. Yeah. So you always have to be building two lists or two audiences, lists you rent and lists you own, or you could say audiences you rent and audiences you own. So a list or an audience that you rent are things like Facebook, Instagram. When you teach into somebody else's group, you're renting them temporarily hoping to move them from that list you rent to a list that you own. When you're on someone else's podcast, like me on yours right now, I am renting your audience temporarily, hoping they hear something that they really like, and then moving them over to an audience that I have partial ownership in. And so if you take a look at your opportunities to appear in front of people that are not fully in your control, and here's a great example, the president of the United States had most of his social medias taken him away from him, right? So that is an example of lists he did not own, audiences he did not own, they were rented and he found that out real quickly. So lists, what are lists you own? Email lists that you build where there's no algorithm that's going to screw you up, where there's no login that's going to kick you out. Text lists is the list that I am the hottest on right now. Subscribers to a podcast is a list that you own. A customer list, people you've previously served is a list that you own. Any kind of audience that's not subject to an algorithm or being booted off or anything along those lines, that's a list that you own. And now here's the crux. You need both lists. The easiest ones to be discovered on are the lists you rent. And by the way, it's the easiest place to serve people. Social media, fast, easy, and free. Popping into other people's masterminds and groups to teach, fast, easy, and free. Being on someone's podcast like this, fast, easy, and free. So they're great platforms. I love lists that you rent, but your job, is to capture them and move them over to a list that you own. And the best way to do that is not just to say a few things that they really, really like, because you know what's going to happen? This podcast will be done. A couple of people might say, hey, I like that Chris guy. I like what he had to say. But the minute the podcast is done, they go back to regular life. The kids are yanking on them. They're making dinner. They're fighting with their spouse and they forget all about me. And so it's not just good enough to go make a good impression. You have to move them over with a really good offer, a really good opt-in. Something like I've got the 2021 blueprint and this is going to sound like I'm now selling, but this is a relevant example. You can go to 2021blueprint.com and it's a whole big list of free resources I put together to help people figure out what their path is in 2021 in order to get their business to the next level. Well, when I'm on a show like this, 
I will bring up the 2021 blueprint. Say, hey guys, go to 2021blueprint.com. It's totally free. You're not going to believe how good the resources there. It's my gift to you. And it's true. It's an epic list of resources. It's a really great tool, but it's also a way, if we're being super frank, to take part of the audience that I'm serving right now that I'm renting and move them over to lists that we own. Yeah, it is so true. And as you know, I help people build lead generation quizzes. Yep. One of the most important things people can invest in right now. Oh my gosh. They are so good. Well, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on why quizzes are one of the best tools, not even an opt-in or freebie lead magnet, whatever you want to call it, but why they're one of the best tools ever. Like I'm so convicted in that, but yeah, we need to build. I love what you said too, because I think that there is this, I think people have gotten pretty polar. Like you're either on social media and that's where you're, that's your, your audience or not. Or it's like, oh, people don't read emails. Well, I mean, they actually do, or they're reading their text messages. But to your point, and I actually did a post about this, Trump found out really fast. He should have had a list because yep. he lost contact with those millions of everything. followers. Yep. Yeah. And so I love what you said that it really does have to be both. And then it's a matter of knowing your audience and what they're going to read. Are they going to read text or are they going to read email? And by the way, it's okay to have text and email because you might serve different people in different ways with those methods. You want both. You really want both. Here's why. Some people prefer text. Some people prefer email. You want to reach them in both ways, but they serve different purposes. Email. Think about when you open your email, usually a work day, or at least usually six to 12 to 24 hours after it's received. And when you're going through it, you're probably going through it. Like you're pretty focused. You're just getting through your emails. So you're, you're like this, that's where emails serve the person when you're trying to reach them that way. Text is different. When do you open text? usually outside of work or on your breaks in when you're in a very different mood and it's way more timely too. Matter of fact, something like between eight and 30% of emails get opened depending on how good you are with open rates. 99% of texts to this day get opened a 99% open rate because nobody leaves their texts unread. Even if they open it quick and then do nothing with it, they still open it. No one leaves like a hundred on their little green bubble with right. a thing. And so while, and that won't be that way forever, but while it is that way today, text has the highest open rate and the most timely open rate, 90% open rate within the first three hours. So now picture this, let's say you're selling a product and it's a sale and the sale is running out. We're down to six hours. We're down to three hours, one hour left. If you're emailing that, good chance they don't see it on time. If you're texting it, very good chance they do see it on time. That's why you need to build both lists. Yep. And I also think that text is really good for some of those quick messages too, where email, it's going to be longer form. So I agree. There's so many different ways and so many different reasons to build both. I know that I'm on the bandwagon for both now. And actually one of the things that I am working on right now, which doesn't currently exist in mass in the quiz community is using quizzes to build text message list. And so I'm putting together a whole, like I'll actually probably bring on a couple of clients to 
beta that to test it out, to make sure that it works as I envision. But like I've had conversations with text or I'm sorry, with quiz platforms of you need to make this work for text messaging because email while amazing is not the only game in town. So anyway, we could talk all day about that, but it is important to build your list, whether that's email, text, or both. And the kind of the takeaway here is start like now, if you haven't. And I think the other thing, Chris, too, and and you'll, because the other comment I hear a lot from entrepreneurs, especially when they're first starting is, well, I'm giving away so much value. I actually should just make this a tripwire or a small dollar thing. And I really should get paid for it if I'm giving that much value. I tend to be, and I think you may be as well, but like give it, like give all the value. So that's a preview for people on like what it's like to work with you. You What are are your thoughts? Like guys, we are in a time where lazy opt-ins, lazy freebies, they don't cut it anymore because there's so many out there. So is it oversaturated? No. What it means is your opt-in, your freebie, your, hey, come over here and hang out with me for a while, experience this for free, needs to be better, bigger, juicier, more valuable than ever, or it's not going to stand out. So things that used to be effective, sign up for my newsletter or get this PDF are no longer acceptable opt-ins. Now it's got to be a course that you would have charged 50 bucks for, 99 bucks for, a short, maybe two or three module course. Hey, tell me where to send it for free. Maybe a book that you would have sold before. Hey, free plus shipping. It's got to be that good of opt-ins these days. A significant blueprint that you would have sold before for $19 or $29 needs to be a free opt-in now. It has to be a good actionable, move the needle type of product that you could have sold in the past. You still could sell today, but you're going to give it away for free in order to stand out and get those very valuable opt-ins onto the lists that you own. Yeah. And one of the strategies I've seen, if people are like so concerned about this, a strategy that I've seen, I haven't used it, so I haven't tested it out. So I can't, I don't have any data around it. Um, I know I love my data is you know, putting it out as a freebie and saying it's only available for this amount of time. And then I'm going to charge for it later, Mm -hmm. which if you are genuine and you are going to do that, it also creates some urgency and for people to get it while it's free. Yep. It's true. And by the way, it's okay to take things that you are charging for still and have them available for sale and say, guys, look, look at my website. It's literally for sale. I'm giving it to you for free. If you use coupon code blank. That's a great option as well. Yeah. Okay, so now we get to, I think, one of the most important questions of the podcast, which is how much do you and your community love bananas? Oh, my God. I mean, I can't even quantify that. Second to only my wife right here. So if this is Lori, here's bananas right here competing. All joking aside, we don't have kids yet. We, you know, we want kids. We're going to start late in life. But my dog, bananas, is... Our, our kid and waffles before that, you know, the, our, the other golden doodle, that was our kid. And I think it's really important to have loving things in the house. I don't care if it's a plant, a cat, a dog, children. I think it's really important to have loving things in the house because when you feel down, when you need a distraction, when you need an unexpected laugh, they deliver it to you. Right. And so, man, that pup is my life. Even when he pisses me off. <laughs> oh, I can understand that. Zeus is like, I mean, he's, well, his middle name is Cuddles. So Zeus Cuddles. Oh and yeah, he's like, 
He's super cute when he's not launching himself out the window to protect us from things like babies and strollers, leaves, the Amazon delivery person. Oh my gosh. Bananas is, he just turned a year old and he's big and strong and he pulls like no dog I've ever experienced before. So he can pull us, pull us like at his will, which is clearly, I'm going to get all these emails now, something that we have to get fixed and get a trainer for. Yes, I get that. But I'll tell you what, he's a nut house. And, and despite him pissing me off all the time, when he pulls for a rabbit or pulls for something and almost pulls Lori over or whatever it might be, you can't live without these little nuts. Oh my gosh. I'm such a big dog person, but I hear Zeus upstairs, like messing around with the kids, mm-hmm. but yeah so strong, but you know, I love, I'm a dog person. I love the unconditional love that they give. It's amazing. It's a must. All right. So I want to respect your time. So just to wrap it up, I have one final question for you. And that is what is one actionable step an entry-level entrepreneur can take today or maybe tomorrow to help set them up for success. And Mm. I include scaling entrepreneurs in that as well. But yeah, what is one actionable step? Because I, I love for entrepreneurs to not just have like the bajillion strategies that they get, yeah. but like one thing, if I do this one thing, it'll help me move the needle. Here's the one thing that I'm such a fan of that you must know at every stage in, in your entrepreneurship. And that is what the value of your working hour is, of your income producing hour is, right? So I teach this all the time. You see me teach this, but You have to literally use this specific formula to find out what every single hour, income producing hour is worth. You simply take your annual goal. So how much you want to make this year divided by the number of weeks you want to work this year. So hopefully it's not 52 out of 52. It might be 48 or 46 divided by the number of days per week. You want to work on average five days, six days, four days divided by the number of working hours per day you want to work. So income goal divided by number of weeks you want to work, divided by number of days per week on average, divided by number of hours per day on average. That number that comes out at the end, 105 bucks an hour, 210 bucks an hour, whatever it might be, this becomes the North Star that you make all your decisions based on. For example, if you are doing the dishes and your hourly value is $205 an hour in order to reach your annual goals, If you are spending any time and energy doing the dishes that should be spent growing your business, you are now mathematically pulling yourself away from hitting your goal. And the problem is we do it one innocent hour at a time. So we don't even notice it. You know, it's just easier for me to go pick up the laundry. You know, it's just easier for me to go run those errands. You know, it's just easier for me to type out these emails instead of having my assistant do it. Except we are just slowly, you know, death by a thousand cuts, right? We are slowly sabotaging our financial goal one innocent little hour at a time. And so the rule of thumb is this, if it is not income producing or joy producing, so some people love, like I used to love mowing the lawn. I got some weird satisfaction out of getting those little straight lines in the smell. So if it's not income producing or joy producing at the rate of which you figured out your hourly value is, then you must delegate it, trade it out or hire it out. Even if you can do it, you should not be doing it. And this is hard for people to grasp sometimes at first. But I will tell you, even when we were starting over from below zero, I remember we hired these two cleaning women. And I remember like it was yesterday. I remember it's like 12, like 12 years ago. I remember like it was yesterday. They were $91 a week to clean the small apartment that we we're starting over in. 
Now we had in other people's eyes, no business hiring cleaning people when we were just starting over from below zero. And even before that, when we had all the nice things and had all the stuff, we did not have cleaning people. How ironic is that? Why did we hire them? Because somebody taught me that, hey, listen, if you're going to make a great financial comeback, if you're going to go build businesses, you need every single piece of time, every single piece of energy that you can invest it into building the income producing machine, not cleaning underwear, unless you happen to own a laundromat. And so I lived it literally. And even when we felt like we couldn't afford it or shouldn't be spending the money, we spent the $91 a week. And guess what? We got our Saturdays back. We got our evenings back. And it allowed us to reinvest that time and that energy into building the businesses that got us off the ground. I love that. And that's applicable at any level. Mm -hmm. And so, and you might be, some people might hear that and go, okay, Chris, I don't have $91 or it's not $91 where I live, or I'm a parent and I've got to like buy this. And so one of the things that I, and I was even thinking this and I've applied it to my life is if you have kids who are old enough, even paying them an allowance is way less than you doing it yep. or having teaching them responsibility of doing the dishes or helping out in whatever way that's work off of your plate. And sometimes, you know, like, I mean, I know with my kids, I'm like, well, they've, you know, they've been at the laptop all day. They're working so hard. They're good kids. I want to reward them and let them relax. But then I think about my time, which is super limited. I also know what I'm building and I'm no different than any other entrepreneur who wants to make an impact. Mm -hmm. I put my kids to work. I actually have my son who is like a genius who helps me actually in my quiz business. So you can find different ways to have people, whether that's adults that you hire out or your kids or the neighbor kid, whomever, help you with those tasks that you shouldn't be doing because your time is worth more. So that's from like the getting started, starting to scale. But even I, now I'm, oh yeah. I was just gonna say, I'm so glad you brought that up because even in the tightest of cases, remember what I said, hire it out trade it out or delegate it out. People forget. So they just stop it. Well, I can't afford that. Right. And then they let that be the excuse. I challenge you to say, what if I had to find someone to do this work that's holding me back from getting where I want to get? What if I had to, then what could I do? Ask a better question, get a better answer. Right. And so there's incredible websites. So there's one called, it's for women only. It's called barter and B barter and And it's literally this giant list of people that say, Hey, I'm good at X, Y, and Z. And I need A, B, and C. And if you're good at A, B, and C, I'll trade you X, Y, and Z. So someone who's an attorney might do your IP stuff for you if you're willing to do their graphic arts. Or someone who can build websites might do that for you if you can help them with their accounting. So there's always someone to barter with if that's where you have to start. You should not be trudging your way through the exhausting, energy-sucking, time-sucking things that someone else could be doing for you. There's always a way. Yeah. That your time, like I'm in this place right now with my business, my time is so limited that I'm spending money to learn some concepts because while I'm smart enough and I can figure it out, it'll take me much longer. So I'm hiring somebody to help me launch something so that way I can get it to market and get it to market done right. I mean, that kind of goes back to our earlier conversation, but yeah, knowing your worth. I'm kind of dumb to be honest with you. I'm, I'm good at just a few things. Right. And so one of my superpowers 
is I'm too dumb to figure a lot of things out. So naturally I go find other people to do them for me. One of the biggest curses is when you can figure everything out Yeah. because then you feel like, well, I know I can figure this out. So I'm going to, because it's going to save money. And I watch people day in and day out who have that natural superpower of being able to figure anything out. I watch them think they're doing the right thing and slowly kill their business death by a thousand cuts wasting time. Oh, I'll figure out my own Facebook ads. Oh, I'll figure out my own accounting. Oh, I'll figure out my own this when they should just be doing the things that produce the income and move the needle that they were meant to do in their business. I love it. All right, Chris, I could talk to you forever, but I do need to respect your time. All right. People can find you at Chris W. Harder on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And we're going to direct people to the 2021blueprint.com. 2021blueprint.com. And then texting. I'll put it in the show notes for your text number as well. So that way. question you want. It's 310-421-0416. There we go. Chris, thank you so much. I know everybody has learned, has gotten something out of this podcast. It makes me so happy. Make sure, and I know I have the reminder at the end here, but make sure that you screenshot this episode, tag me, tag Chris, let us know your favorite part, even if it was the conversation around dogs. (laughs) Emily, you're a great host. I sure appreciate you trusting me with your audience. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Thank you for spending your time listening today. It would mean the world to me if you screenshot this episode and tag me on social media at Emily Kuhn and share a takeaway. And as my kids would say, smash that subscribe button and leave the show a five-star review so that the guests and I can share the strategies and actionable steps with entry-level entrepreneurs everywhere. Thanks for listening.